This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock. Happy New Year and welcome to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast to get the lowdown on Sheffield United, who are Liverpool's first visitors to Anfield in 2020. It would take a brave man to bet against Liverpool, extending their incredible unbeaten Premier League home run to 51 matches. But as we'll discover on this podcast, this is a Sheffield United team under Chris Wilder that will arrive on Merseyside with no fear. And as we'll also discover, this is a Sheffield United team that has real parallels with world champions Liverpool, both on and off the pitch. James Shield is the Sheffield United correspondent for the Sheffield Star and across the next 20 minutes or so he offers a fascinating insight into Wilder and the impressive side he has constructed at Bramall Lane. Hope you enjoy our chat and we'll be back after the match with the post-game podcast. Behind enemy lines on the Blood Red channel. Hi James, Happy New Year and thank you very much for joining me on this podcast to talk all things Sheffield United. Uh, you're currently up in Liverpool for a couple of days before the match. Uh, you're looking forward to it, both the Knights House and the big game at Anfield? Yeah, just have a little bit of time and uh, sort of see the city, see the sights and then, uh, as you say, total up to Anfield for the uh, for the big game on Thursday. Yeah, it should be a cracker. The, the last time we spoke, I actually had a look before we start recording this conversation, was in October of last year because I was asking how Ben Woodburn was getting on at Bramall Lane and, and back then he couldn't get into the Sheffield United team because of the, the form of the players in front of him and I think fast forward, probably about 15 months and, and that form's carried Sheffield United all the way into the Premier League and, and as things stands in the battle for a Europe European place. Uh, it's been some ride. Did you see it coming? Uh, I, I I didn't see it coming to the extent that you know that, that they're going into the uh, into the second half of the season competing for a European place. Uh, I'd be lying if I if I said that. But I'd also be lying if I said I was sort of you know fall off my chair surprised uh, with the sort of with with the progress that that they've made I, I didn't think they'd come into the into the Premier League and struggle mm-hmm. uh, I didn't think they'd come into the Premier League and do as do as well as they have but I think the one thing that this Sheffield United squad has sort of consistently done ever since uh, Chris Wilder was appointed in 2016 is almost sort of defy expectation and and turn turn the impossible into the uh, into the possible and they they're a club that has sort of consistently overachieved that much that you you do wonder actually whether they're overachieving at all if you if you see what I mean mm-hmm. uh you know because uh, overachievement has, has certainly become the norm at Bramall Lane and I think you know they are where they are by rights now I think it's gone beyond the stage of the season when you can start just sort of you know or you can still just attribute where they are in the table to, to momentum I think there's uh, there's clearly a lot more going on than that You've worked at close quarters with uh, Chris Wilder since he took charge at Bramall Lane a few years ago now. Just how impressive a man and a manager is he? He's he's really impressive. And I think, do you know what? There's some nice similarities here between uh, Chris Wilder and Jurgen Klopp, actually. I mean, obviously, they've had hugely different careers. Uh, I mean, Chris, even at, you know by his own admission at this point, probably doesn't really deserve to be sort of mentioned in the, in the same breath as, as Jurgen in terms of what they've actually achieved, but they've—I think they're both managers who are sort of able to establish and, and build a real bond with their players and a real bond with their squads, and that's that's so important these days. I think. I mean, dare I say it? They're, they're both good tacticians. Mm-hmm. They'll both be able to to work things out on the training ground and devise sort of you know the most complex of strategies. But I think 
you know, the one thing that is so important in this day and age in, in Premier League football, in, at, at any level of football, I think, is being able to build a, a rapport and being able to build a, a really strong relationship with the with the squad of players that you've got. And I think both Chris Wilder and, and Jurgen Klopp have uh, sort of shown that they've that they've got that quality. I mean, I've I've actually known Chris going all the way back to the to the start of his managerial career when wow. he was with Halifax, yeah. and it's been a a constant sort of you know journey of achievement and success really i mean it's interesting in this day and age he's still a manager he's been at halifax obviously he's been at oxford he's been at northampton and now sheffield united the club that he's most closely associated with and he's still never been sacked which is sort of quite an achievement in itself in 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 this day and age and it does but you even going back to his days at halifax where you know that was a club that was on its knees They, they they were financially shot they didn't have a training ground. The players weren't being paid, and and yet, you know, you could see then he got that club to the to the conference playoff final. And it was interesting speaking to a lot of the players around that place at the time. And I, I can remember going up there just to do a few pieces uh, with them because it was a remarkable story. And there was obviously a, a link to Sheffield as well. And I remember one game just before they actually set off for that conference playoff final uh, against Hereford. It was at, at Leicester City, and they were just basically sat there having a drink and getting sort of quietly drunk, as it were, the uh, the day before the game. And, you know, this was this was quite strange. And I can remember asking a lot of them about this, you know, sort of because I'm sat there thinking, is this really the ideal preparation for what's potentially going to be one of the biggest games in a lot of your players' lives? And then what was going on? And this, this was actually the intelligent man management behind it. It became clear that a lot of these players, and obviously they weren't on great money, uh, even when they were being paid at, at, at conference level. But they hadn't been paid for three months. They were all effectively out of contract. They could have all gone elsewhere. And so Chris and his staff at the time had basically decided that, you know, listen, if we want these players to keep turning up, they've got to enjoy themselves. And, you know, they're probably going to enjoy this an awful lot more than they are double training sessions a day and then go into the hydro pool and stuff. Not that they had access to anything like that. <laughs> no. But, you know, they, and they effectively turned it into one big boys club. And I, I look back and I, you know, I was laughing at it at the time, but you do look back and you think that was the first time when I think really you started to see that sort of insight into how he sort of man manages players and sort of almost the uh, the intelligence, as it were, you know, knowing how to deal with with different situations, knowing what makes players tick, and you've you've seen that this season as well. Uh, you know, I mean, Dean Henderson, who the the, uh, the goalkeeper on loan from Manchester United, who I'm I'm sure won't be getting a, a red carpet reception <laughs> at Anfield. But no. if you scroll back to the to the game between the two clubs at Bramall Lane earlier this season, where it was Dean's mistake that you mm-hmm. know effectively gave Liverpool the win. And there was a lot of talk afterwards about how critical Chris had, had been of him. Well, I think, you know, he, he, he was critical of him because he knew Dean is the type of player that reacts to uh, to a stick, you know, and he needs that. There's other players at Sheffield United who have struggled in recent months for, for different reasons, not for too long, and he's taken an entirely different approach. So it's that, it's that insight into the personality of his players that I think is one of his, his really sort of standout qualities. But that man management alone cannot take you as far as Sheffield J have gone. You only have to look at the results this season. You know, Drew at Chelsea, won at Everton, I think Drew at Spurs, Drew at Wolves, an excellent Wolves team. And then by all accounts, we're very unlucky to lose at Manchester City on Sunday. We're actually beginning to see Chris and his 
coaching team and the players get a lot of credit for what they're doing tactically as well. I know there's a, a lot of talk about the overlapping centre-backs and that kind of pretty famous defensive setup now. And I was actually reading an article the other day where uh, former Liverpool midfielder Zavi Lonzo was raving about it. But yeah, great man manager. There's the stories you've just been telling us, they prove that. But this guy really knows what he's doing on as a coach as well, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Because the 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 system that they uh, that they play. I mean, you know, you you would describe it on paper, and it should be chaos. It should be absolute <laughs> chaos and carnage out there on a on a football pitch. You know, the the number of times that you'll see Jack O'Connell, who of course is you know sort of looking forward to this game hugely yes. as, as a Liverpool and a lifelong Liverpool fan. Uh, the number of times you'll see him exchanging you know, passes with an, a fellow centre-half on the edge of an opposition box or, you know, his, uh, or one of his wing-backs. It, it is ridiculous. But the reason why it works is because they have choreographed it so well mm-hmm. on the training ground. I mean, this is a this is a system that they, they introduced uh, about four or five games into uh, to Chris's reign when they didn't get off to the to the best of starts, actually. And I think it was something that he'd always spoken privately that he'd... He, he wanted to do, and he was fascinated to see if it, if it could work. And clearly, it just reached a point at the beginning of his reign. Seems an awful long time ago now, where they just thought, you know what, let's let's just let's just damn it, let's let's just do this. And it's worked. But they they really have choreographed it so so well. They do an awful lot of very technical and tactical work, as you said on the on the training ground. And it's uh, it's a lovely mix, I think, what's going on at Sheffield United at the moment of that technical side, but also just the fun side and the human side. The other thing that I have to say that they've done so, so well over the past three years is is recruitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a sob story. They don't have anywhere near the money to spend uh, as, you know, pretty much every other club in the, in the Premier League. They didn't have anywhere near as much money to spend as pretty much every other club in the championship either last season. But they've they've been so intelligent in terms of their recruitment. And I think, you know, hats off to a guy there uh, called Paul Mitchell, who uh, Chris was very keen to bring in when he uh, when it, when he first took charge of the football club. And, you know, this is a guy who, again, I think he's, he's almost an unsung hero of football. He gets overlooked an awful lot more outside Bramall Lane. Uh, than he deserves to because he's got a wonderful track record even going back to Chesterfield when he was there of being able to identify players and what they've done is they've brought in some very very highly skilled players they might not be household names and for whatever reason a lot of these lads have, have struggled or not had an opportunity at their at their previous clubs but you know they've all got the right character. I think they've all been able to uh, sort of buy into the into the sort of the ethos of the football club. They're all a pretty down to earth bunch, or as as down to earth as I think professional footballers can be these <laughs> days. Uh, but they've 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 all bought into that. But they're you know they've all been given an opportunity. I mean Jack O'Connell, great example of that. A player that they picked up for an initial two hundred and fifty thousand pounds from from Brentford. It rose to uh, to five hundred when they were when they were promoted. But you know what is that kid worth now? Ooh. You know, I mean, it, it's it, it it sort of it. You know, you you don't really want to think about it. Ender Stevens, another one. You know, who came in on a free transfer, just got promoted out of League Two with Portsmouth, uh, and is now an established Republic of Ireland international. And I think one of the common threads a lot of these players have got is that a lot of them started off actually. Uh, at pretty good clubs. You know, I mean, Ender was at Aston Villa when he came over from Ireland. 
Jack was at was at Blackburn Rovers. Yeah. Chris Basham was another one who, who Chris didn't bring in, but you know again uh, came through the uh, came through the system at, at Bolton. But they've all had setbacks at some point in their careers. John Fleck being another one at, at Glasgow Rangers with what happened there. So they've all shown that sort of character to really be able to sort of bounce back from from adversity and. I think there's too many of those players within the squad for that to be a coincidence. I think that's something that the coaching staff at Bramall Lane clearly look at because it feels that it gives them a guide into the into the type of people that they're signing. Good players, but also very, very determined players as well. Behind Enemy Lines on the Blood Red Channel. I tell you what, the more and more you you speak about this, the more and more the similarities I actually can see with Liverpool. You've talked about Klopp and and Chris Wilder, how they've got uh, almost like a a, a kinship when it comes to the way they treat players, but off the field, the recruitment's been superb. And then, like, you look at Liverpool's team at the moment, people like Andy Robinson, you know, they've not come from, they've come from good clubs, but they've not probably come from the stellar background that maybe some of the Man City players uh, have come from. And I I wonder if, you know, they shared a beer, didn't they, at Bramall Lane earlier? this season I wonder if they've had talks privately maybe Chris and Jürgen because again the more we speak here the more I can see how maybe you know Chris would want to pick Jürgen's brain because of those similarities uh, do you know what it, it wouldn't surprise me I mean I know they, they spent a little bit longer than perhaps is ordinarily the case having a, having a drink together after the game at Bramall Lane because I mean he won't mind me saying this but even in sort of private conversation it was pretty clear that sort of Chris, you know, I mean, obviously he was aware of sort of Jurgen Klopp's body of work, but he hadn't really sort of met him on a personal level. But it was clearly somebody whose company he uh, he enjoyed, and I think it is because of that. I think there's a there are an awful lot of similarities between the two. It's clearly two managers. You even look at the young players at Liverpool. I think it's two managers who are prepared to give players an opportunity, and who are prepared to sort of almost look beyond. Uh, the sort of glossy CVs, as it were, that the agents might send out, and that probably you know the likes of you and I write in the in the media. <laughs> they're, they're prepared to look a little bit, a little bit deeper than that. But I mean, this this for me is why this match is just going to be so fascinating because I think you're right. That, listen, the two clubs they're clearly at you know two different ends of the of of, of the Premier League spectrum. But there are so many sort of similarities. They they both go about things in a slightly different way. But they both they both like to attack the game. Sheffield United will come to Anfield, and a lot of people, you know, might say this is tantamount to football in suicide. But they they will look to attack the game, and they will look to try and pose Liverpool questions. Liverpool have always done that, obviously under under Jurgen Klopp. But I think the other great thing as well is, and we were talking about. Uh, to Chris about this at the at the press conference uh, earlier today, you know, there's there's great similarities between the two cities as well. I yeah. think as well, you know, they, Sheffield perhaps isn't talking about worldwide in the same breath as Liverpool as being a footballing city, but you know that's because of the success that Liverpool and Everton have had. But Sheffield is just as big a footballing city. I mean, effectively, you could argue it's it's the home of football uh in in this country it's yeah. the home of football in the world you yeah know, where it uh, started of, of the of the of the modern game and there's two clubs there and it's two cities that have both sort of you know perhaps not had the helping hand from sort of governments no, either in no. down the years that they that they should have added have been sort of you know pretty much had to sort of fend for themselves at times and i think you know that that's that's one of the things that really fascinates me about this game as well that it's it's two as I say, two football clubs at very different sort of stages of their development, 
It's two football clubs of very, very different sort of, you know, standings, if you like. But it's also two football clubs, I think, with very similar outlooks and, and that have been born in sort of very similar cultures as well. Just before we kind of get on to the match itself, uh, you mentioned Jack O'Connell. There's John Lundstrom as well. Even the manager has got a bit of a Liverpool yeah. background, hasn't he, with his, his family? Yeah, it's, uh, obviously, we all know him as a, as a Yorkshireman, you know, someone who's a blade through and through. But it's it's right, his family originally from uh, West Derby, Norris Green, area of the city. And, and obviously, a few of his players are big Liverpool fans are big Scousers as well. Yeah, that's right. And you know what? I actually think that that helped to give him a, a real edge uh, during the, the game at Bramall Lane because, I mean, clearly this is the... Uh, I know they've got to say all the right things and sort of, you know, that we treat every game the same and we prepare for every game the same. And, you know, professionally, yes, they will do. Mm-hmm. But but Jack O'Connell and, and John Lundstrom, uh, you know, I mean, even though John was, was obviously at Everton, he's a, he's a lifelong Reds fan. Uh, you know, the... In terms of personal significance, the two games against Liverpool will have been the the first ones that they were that they were looking for, and so you know, I mean, they're they're going to have a huge emotional investment in this in this fixture, and you know, Chris, as you said, you know, spent quite a lot of time in in Liverpool as a youngster. He's he's got aunties and uncles here, and he was telling a, a funny little story actually just before the game at Goodison Park early this season, where he he managed to just get a taxi over to uh, to West Derby. Uh, before the game to to nip in and have a have a cup of tea with them. I think all the family are, are Liverpool fans or his, his family in Liverpool. But you know he he, he was arguing the uh, arguing the toss about whether they actually lived in West Derby or Norris Green. But he said whichever whichever one it was, you know, he said I was there wandering around in my in my Sheffield United tracksuit before the game, getting a few funny looks when I was trying to remember exactly where I was going. So there's there are there's 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 sort of quite a lot of connections as well between Sheffield United and Liverpool, which I think just add to the sort of add to the nice sort of story surrounding the game really definitely can Sheffield United though stop this Liverpool juggernaut I think if people don't realise that defeat very harsh defeat to Man City at the weekend was Sheffield United's first away defeat in the Premier League this season Liverpool's I think home Premier League unbeaten run stretches back 50 games now I think whatever happens on on Thursday night this is going to be a proper game of football and Sheffield United are going to give it absolutely everything but can they actually win there or can they actually take a point do you know what? I, I mean, listen, the odds are stacked against them. There's there's absolutely no doubt about that. I mean, that, that defeat at Manchester City, by the way, was actually their first away from home since January. Wow. wow. Uh, you know, it's so nearly a whole calendar year. Nearly a whole calendar year. Wow. So, you know, and I think, again, that gives you a little insight into the, into the character and the personality of that group. I, I'm going to just sort of... I'm going to reissue that caveat. Of course, they have; they are really up against it. They will be on uh, on Thursday night, and Liverpool will start the game as overwhelming favourites. There's there's no doubt about that. But in a in a strange sort of way, I just wonder if Sheffield United are possibly, you know, will have more of a chance than perhaps you know a team higher up the the Premier League food chain, as it were, of being the ones to uh, to actually sort of upset that that apple cart at at Liverpool. And the reason why I say that is because I think it's just the attitude that they will take into the game where, you know, they're not going to be gung-ho. They're not going to be stupid about it. They're not going to be sort of committing nine men forward in every single attack. And you saw that at Manchester City. But what they will do is they will have a go and they will look to to pose questions. I'm I'm sure Liverpool, uh, you know, 
they've earned the earned the right to almost give themselves this problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will be used to teams coming to Anfield and, and just effectively turning it into a, a training ground exercise of Liverpool's attack versus their defence. And that's something that Sheffield United won't do. And I, I think that's quite right because, I, you know, when all's said and done, we are in the entertainment business. And the other thing is, I think just pure football in common sense terms if you're not going to have a go you don't really give yourself much chance of winning a game of football so Sheffield United will have a go and they will look to, to pose questions of, of Liverpool's defence so in a in a strange sort of way yes it would be a, a huge huge upset uh, yes I think probably Liverpool fans will look at different fixtures they've got to come and think possibly you know some of those might on paper pose a bigger test. But I do just wonder if, you know, a match like this might be the type of one where, where Liverpool's sort of, you know, unbeaten run at, run at home is, uh, is broken. Who knows? Sheffield United will certainly give themselves a chance of doing that. And they'll, they'll certainly believe they can do it as well. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.